find refuge from the storm this morning. It is our hope and our prayer that you have found that and will find that here. So just breathe. you're ready, I invite you to open your eyes. I want to dismiss our kids this morning, our fourth and fifth graders and our youth, our middle and high school. You're going to head on up to your class. I tried to curate a service this morning of hope and of honesty, of space, of facing truth to curate a service of what beauty is and what beauty calls us to. And honestly, it was really hard to do. My name is Melissa. If any of you are visiting with us this morning, I'm the associate pastor here, and I typically curate our services, and I love doing it. But this week was hard. I changed the songs about three times. I rewrote my message five. I wanted to find the right sentiment to speak to you and encourage you and challenge you and comfort you. And so we started off this morning with that song, Diamonds, that we will rise up from this dust. And I believe that each and every one of us are diamonds and that we will rise from this. Then we sang, Love Shall Overcome. So we must open up our hearts and we must do just that. And then love shall overcome. We sang the song, We Are Still Together in This. And indeed we are. We must leave this battle far behind. And then just Mikey he just sang the words of St. Augustine, late have I loved you, beauty so ancient and so new. And I wonder if that is or that will be the cry of many hearts who are choosing the way of love and the way of light and peace and reconciliation. I wonder if some of us, though, are choosing it too late. And I mean too late because each and every one of us carries within us the very image of our God, yes? And thus we have a responsibility for more than just to ourselves. We have a responsibility for others and for our world. But we know and we recognize that many do not feel that responsibility. And so hell on this earth continues. So we are called here to be a safe place, a haven, if you will. A place where we can feel hope and we can feel love and peace and comfort and yet I know these thoughts and these feelings are far from many of your hearts and minds today because the reality is fear is rampant and some of our deepest fears are actually coming true. And I don't want to talk, and I'm not talking about our new president-elect, Mr. Trump, today. Let's just set him aside for a minute and everybody take a deep breath, okay? I'm talking about right here, though, right now. I am talking about, and we must talk about, the permission that this campaign has passed and given out. We must talk about, besides the grief and the questions and the sadness that many of us faced on Wednesday morning, we are also now seeing the destructive voices and the actions of the many who are blatantly now calling out blacks and Muslims and women and immigrants. And so many of you come into this space this morning to escape this hell that you are living in or you are reading about or watching on the news. And also there are others like me, though, that sit comfortably being simply observers to this fear. And it breaks my heart, and it should. And I know many of us, we are tired of being challenged. 
Many of us who carry this white skin are tired of talking about privilege of the whites. And so today I don't want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about other privileges that we have. Because as followers in the way of Jesus, as those who believe in beauty and truth and goodness, we don't have the privilege to ignore the fears of the many who are hurting. Nor do we have the privilege to quiet or negate them. We have the privilege to listen. And I think it is a privilege. We also have the privilege to do something about it. We must combat these fears with better actions and with better words. Thank you, August. <laughs> For fear, it limits our worldview. It limits life's infinite possibilities. Fear is holding so many of us back. And I'm going to look at some scripture this morning. Let's look at 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7. It says, For this reason I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. See, some of us need to be willing today to touch some people. And I mean literally show up in someone's life and get close enough to touch them. And if you are close enough to touch them, that means that you are going to start having a real relationship with them. Some of us need to show up in someone's life and remind them of the power and the love that they have. We need to show up in people's lives so that we can begin to dispel these fears. So I'm asking us this morning as I look out at your faces, so many familiar, so many new, I'm asking this morning as I watch the news or I look on social media, so many of us, we are searching for courage and we are searching for beauty. And I've realized this week a lot about our community specifically. I've thought about how this prophetic culture that is fundamentally concerned with goodness and action, that we've tried to be a part of that culture. And then I've realized that the academic culture um, that's fundamentally concerned with truth and with right thoughts and words and doctrines, we've also tried to be a part of that culture here. But then I'm asking who or what can pull all of this together? And I think beauty is the missing piece. Beauty is the missing piece of this trinity of holiness, that this spiritual community and we as individuals have to be and find a way to be all three. We have to find a way to be beauty, truth, and goodness. And in doing so, I think we will be a community then who calls ourselves and others to a full life of love and of wholeness. So the challenge that our nation is facing today is who's going to answer that call and our role as progressive communities committed then uh, to democracy, committed to compassion and human dignity, it is our role then to bend this arc of culture towards justice. It's been proven time and time again that laws change when our attitudes change. Our role is to help them change attitudes and to lead by example. And so who, who will answer this call? My encouragement this morning is that so many of you are. So many of you have already said, I will. I will choose to be an advocate for beauty. We are seeing the problem, we are hearing the call, and we are choosing to rise up and be beauty, which I think is going to be the necessary agent for rendering the claims of goodness and of truth then. Again, we've tried to be a community of truth people to deconstruct and to reconstruct healthy doctrines. And I think we realize, though, that that is not enough. We have tried to be a people also of goodness, 
to see this prophetic people of action and we are realizing that that is now not enough. So what is missing and what I think we need is to realize that we also have to be agents of beauty and agents of life. We need to be co-conspirators of a different and a better way. For many, Wednesday morning, it gave permission for the darkest parts of ourselves. In fact, the very opposite of President Lincoln's call for the better nature, uh, angels of our nature. What's happened is we've given permission to the opposite of that. The hate, the vitriol, the punishment, the exclusionary side of people is now showing up and showing out. As of Friday, I don't know what's happened in the last day, but as of Friday, more than 200 hate incidents ranging from swastika graffiti to physical threats have been reported across the country since the election, according to the Southern Poverty Law, which is a nonprofit that monitors hate groups in the U.S. And so now we must respond. We must tip the scales again, if you will. As Dr. William Barber so passionately said, we are called to shock this nation with the power of love. With the power of mercy, we must fight for justice for all people. So Christianity, the spirit of Jesus, the Christ consciousness that we believe prevails in all of life. That spirit is not passive. Hear me. That spirit is not passive. Too many this morning are sitting, literally sitting comfortable in their pews today with privileged lips and voices quoting God is in control and they are naively doing so. Because when we make statements like that, I'm asking us then, where is the responsibility lie? Where is my responsibility if I'm constantly saying God is in control? And believe me, I said that for years. I sang it. I mean, I literally re-recorded the Twilight Paris song with Avalon, but that's a tangent. I remember, and I've told many of you before, I remember when I realized that the words I was saying and preaching and speaking were platitudes. It was when I was in Africa. This was probably 16 years ago. And I was in Africa. We were doing a concert for these amazing, beautiful people. And I remember in between one of the songs, I got on the mic and I said, I'm going to quote David this morning. God has said, I've never seen the, David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. And I stared into the eyes of a poverty stricken, AIDS ridden community. And I realized that those words only worked in the West. And so we have to stop. We have to take care and sit back and take a breath before we shout these things, before you try to encourage someone on social media, which so many of you do so with good intention. But I'm asking you to pause for a minute and let's take a collective breath this morning. Baptist theologian Russell Moore said this, too often and for too long, American Christianity has been a political agenda in search of a gospel useful enough to accommodate it. Y'all know it's serious when I'm quoting the Baptist. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) This man is a good man. Too often and for too long, American Christianity has a political agenda in search of a gospel useful enough to accommodate it. So who is this Jesus that we are trying to follow? And what was the way of life in which he lived? What was the example that was set not by a fair-skinned, blue-eyed, holy man? Because that Jesus is being worshipped all over America today. 
We've created a version of Christianity where Jesus saves, yes, and yet Jesus doesn't call us to be transformed and live a different life. I'm not interested in that Jesus. I'm interested in a brown-skinned Palestinian Jew and the example that he set forth for you and for me, okay? Let's look at this. This is from the third century. It's a theologian origin. He says, the marvel of Christ is that in a world where power and riches and violence seduce hearts and compel assent, he, he's talking about Jesus, he persuades and prevails not as a tyranny, an armed assailant, or a man of wealth, but simply as a teacher of God and of love. A teacher of God and of love. See, long before the, uh, before the voice of our president-elect or any of the other voices of the candidates spoke, the dominant Western and American script was one um, that idolizes success. It idolizes achievement, technology, militarism, and it is the way of a superpower. It harkens back to the Greco-Roman world in which Jesus lived. When it was proclaimed Pax Romana, Roman peace, which was a peace that says, surrender to Caesar or we will kill you. That is not true peace. And then Caesar was more than willing to employ the church as a chaplain, as long as the church would endorse the ways and the means of the empire. And then Jesus came and stepped right up in the middle of that and said, no, 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 there is a better way. So before the time of Jesus, we have Israel's story. We have this archetypal narrative. Um, it emerges where the perennial struggle is between the world of empire and the liberating will of God. It is between the lordship of people like Caesar and Pharaoh and the lordship of God, which is a kingdom of love and a beloved community. So here we are, fast forward thousands of years, and we see here that there are still dominating powers of bondage and of prejudice versus powers of liberation and freedom for all people. So what is the church doing today? What is Christianity standing for? Who are we following? We are as a spiritual community and individuals. We have this call. We need to bear the truth. We need to live out the goodness and we need to show the beauty of this alternative way. In the way of Jesus, the alternative way um, was in his time. He realized that the end, no matter how noble, never justified the means. The end never justified the means for Jesus and it shouldn't for us either. As a people of the better way, we need to begin weighing out the means and realizing and paying attention to the individual that those means affect along the way. As people of a better way, we should be generating hope. We should be affirming identity and we should be creating a new and better future. We are to choose the way of counterintuitive love, a way of service, a way of humility. In the midst of that, we might need to overturn some tables with some righteous anger. But if we do so, we will do so on behalf of those overlooked or for the marginalized, those on the margins of our society. This is not us versus them. The better way for all of us is for us to keep drawing broader and broader circles until we realize that there is room for all. In doing so, if we can do that, we will be walking in the way of Jesus. We will be walking in the way of Gandhi. We will be walking in the way of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Now that is true beauty in which our country so desperately needs, yes? Dostoevsky wrote in one of his novels, beauty will save the world. 
And our world needs saving right now, not from the hell of the afterlife, but from the hell that we are enacting and living out here on earth. And I think beauty could be the way to do it. And I don't think beauty will save the world is just another platitude. I think there is a certain distinctiveness to it in the essence of beauty, and it is exemplified in a way of life. See, we can't preach this first. We must live it. We must show it. We can't preach truth to those who feel subhumanized, to those who are marginalized, or to those who are overlooked. First, we must be a part of giving them back their humanity and their dignity. We must show them with our actions, and in doing so, I believe we will be beauty personified. Ron and I sat in long meetings um, Friday and Saturday on behalf of Timothy's Gift, the prison outreach that we do. We sat with our new friends from Building Hope Today, which is an awareness and prevention for sexual abuse um, a nonprofit that's beginning, and then our other dear friend, um, LeVar McBride, who is a criminal justice um, professor from Penn State. And we sat in these meetings and we're dreaming up ideas for the future. And Ron and I were telling them about how we've been able to reach the inmates. And how for Timothy's gift, how we use music, how we have recognized that we use beauty to break down barriers in order to lift people up. We're going to go again in two weeks into Arkansas and go into eight or nine different prisons for Christmas and spread hope and remind these men and women of their humanity. To lift them back up to the level in which for them to understand that they are deserving of love. And once they get that, they realize then that healing and forgiveness and reconciliation and repentance and transformation can then finally occur. But first, we found you must lead with beauty. Where truth and goodness fail to win an audience, beauty captivates. Beauty draws people back into their rightful place in the beloved community of our world in which they've always belonged. So I ask again, what are we doing as a spiritual community Theologian Stanley Hauerwas has correctly observed, the church doesn't have a social strategy. The church is a social strategy, or it's called to be. Instead of us trying to force change upon the wider society through means of lawmaking, we should be and could be exemplifying the beautiful alternative by actually living this out. We could simply be the alternative that we seek to produce. We could be a righteous and a just society. We could be a place of extravagant love, inclusion, with the goal of transformation to reach our fullest capacities as divine image bearers, as human beings. That is our call. We should be the beautiful expression of the beloved community. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, we do not want merely to see beauty, we want something else which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty that we see, to pass into it, to receive it unto ourselves, to bathe in it, to become a part of it. See, there is a gift that we have all been given in this life, the gift of life, the gift of wholeness. And if we are experiencing less than that, or if we see someone or some group of people that are experiencing less than that, who are being forced to live less than their capacity, then we must work to correct that. Not on behalf of some political purpose or party, but because and on behalf of uh, humanity. Do you hear me? This isn't about Democrat and Republican and independent today. This is about us, all of us. The gift of every individual in this life who lives on this earth. See, this election cycle, this presidential elect, they have robbed, all of this has robbed so many of their dignity. 
And today and moving forward, we must choose to be part of the restoration movement. We will be a part of those who will restore someone's dignity, remind them of their own worth and their own beauty. That's the resistance movement, to be a part of the redemptive force of beauty. That is the dream of God for this world. And I sign up. I sign up. So we need to recover a theology of beauty. The way out of this mess and the confusion of a politicized faith, I think, is to follow the path of beauty. To follow the path of beauty. And beauty is graceful. Beauty has a way of sneaking past our defenses, and it's hard to argue with beauty. Brian Zond, who's a pastor and author, says, Beauty should be a primary standard for our theology, for our witness and our action. The question we should ask ourselves is, is this beautiful? This thing I'm about to say, is this beautiful? This thing I'm about to post on social media, is this beautiful? This thing I'm about to do, is this beautiful? And if it is, you'll realize it. It will bring a smile to your face. It will resonate good and bring you satisfaction of your soul because a beautiful thing is the right thing to do. See, beauty is the emotion behind the headiness of truth and the actions of goodness. Beauty is the heart. A healthy spiritual life should be to seek to believe what is true, to be what is good, and to behold all that is beautiful. The last thing that most people need in their lives this morning is a more intense sense of conflict. The church, spiritual communities, we should be a place to find shelter from this storm. And this place, not just these four walls, but these people, the eyes of these people that you can look into as you leave this place today, hopefully you will find a shelter from the storm. That is my goal, and that would be beautiful. We have too many angry people we have too many churches that are indifferent or detached. It would be hard to be a shelter from the storm if you want to deny that there is a storm in the first place. We want to be a place that says we know that there are places out there that are unsafe and we choose to be safe for you. A place to be honest, a place to cry, a place to doubt, a place to, uh, to question, a place to find faith in yourself and in humanity and in God and love again. Jesus said at the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount, these words, he says, everyone who then hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on a rock. See, the storm was raging outside and yet that house was founded on a rock of love. And so despite the storm raging, it would stand to be a place of shelter and peace and hope. So how do we do this and how do we live this? Jesus announced that that house that is built on the rock, it is represented by actions and by people. He says, these are the blessed, the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, those hungering for justice, the merciful, the pure-hearted, and the persecuted. So if Jesus is our greatest example, then right here we have eight attributes of beauty, eight attributes of what the beloved community should be built upon. And I want to say them again. They will be to welcome the poor. They will be to comfort those who mourn. They will be to esteem the meek, to hunger for justice, to extend mercy, to have a pure heart, to be peacemakers, and to endure persecution. These are not common sense things. They are subversive. 
And if you are willing and ready to comply, then the Beatitudes are some of the counterintuitive wisdom of God that turns the assumed values of a superpower culture and the ways of empire on its head. And I believe that there's a need for that currently. Beauty is lived out when we comfort those who mourn. That means that today of all days, we wanted to create a space for you to grieve if you need it. A space for you if you are in fact mourning. And we aren't going to pressure you to get over it or to hurry up. That's a part of what it means to be a shelter from the storm. We will esteem the meek. Beauty lived out is when we will hunger for justice. We need to ache for justice for all. We need to ache for something better than what is currently happening today in our country. We will ache for us to be able to all fulfill our capacity as, hum- as humanity. And we will work for opportunities in order for everyone to do so. It says, blessed are those who have pure hearts, for they will see God. Blessed are those who will actually see clearly. We just finished a series right before Beauty Is on blind spots. And we're talking about the many ways that you and I do not see clearly. And I encourage you, if you weren't here, you weren't a part of that community um, then, I encourage you to go back to listen because we need to see clearly for then we can see God in all things and in all people and choose to respond accordingly. It says, blessed are the peacemakers. And in that word peacemakers, I don't think that's a passive call to unity or to acceptance of the way things are. I think it's saying that we are called to challenge, to fight if needed the status quo when it lessens others. And for us to remember that shalom, that peace word, it means harmony, true harmony for all. It's not just peace for one of us, it's peace for all of us. Blessed are the peacemakers. Finally, it says blessed are those who endure persecution. And this is an especially hard one for me this morning because I am not the one being persecuted. I don't know what it means for that black woman in West Haven who walked outside of her door, walking to her car, and a neighbor yells, nigger, you can leave now. I don't know what that feels like, but if it means anything, hear us say, blessed are you. I don't know what it means and feels like to be that woman in Murfreesboro who was groped at the gas station. Now, I think I read that she beat the guy up, so yay for her, but. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know what it means for her to hear, blessed are you, but we will say it. And for our Muslim friends, for those whose hijabs are being pulled off their heads, for the immigrants that we know that are fearing deportation, for our LGBTQ friends and family who are fearing their marriages being revoked, I don't know what it feels like, but I'll say it. If it's any comfort, blessed are you. And I will promise you that I will be a part and we will be a part of ending that persecution for you. Hear me. 
today is not about political parties. Let's stop identifying with our voting blocks. This is not about us versus them. There is only us. And I don't just mean the people in this room. I mean one world, one world that we live in together. Let's care for it well. It's time for us to identify the beauty all around us, to identify those that are hurting, those who we disagree with, those who are scared, and say to them, there is only one God, and God is in us and with us and for us. And so it's our responsibility then to play out this notion of the beloved community, for the beautiful way will serve us well. I don't know if you're familiar with this story. Um, the siege of Sarajevo, it was the longest siege in the capital city in the history of modern war warfare. And after being initially besieged by the forces of the Yugoslavs People Army, Sarajevo, which is the capital of Bosnia, it was um, besieged by the Army of the Republic for four years. 1,425 days of pain, death, darkness, and destruction. It was estimated that in those four years, between 9,000 and 14,000 people were killed. Now, in the midst of that war, a man by the name of Vidron Smilovic, he appeared on the scene, and he was an accomplished musician who played for the opera and the Philharmonic Orchestra and the theater there. And Smilovic chose to do an interesting thing in the midst of that war, and I want to show you a picture, and I wonder what it speaks to you. So he sat there with the cello, and he began to take his bow out and play... Uh, Benoni's Adagio in G minor, and this was not a concert hall. He sat in the crater where the day before 22 people had died. And sniper fire continued around him, and mortars still rained down in his community and his neighborhood, but Smilovic never stopped playing. And then he went the next day to other sites. He played in graveyards, he played at funerals, even though those gunners would continue to target. His music was a gift to all of those that were hiding in their basements, a voice for peace for those daily dodging those bullets. And as the reports of Smilovic's performances on those shattered streets began to spread, he became a symbol for peace and he caught the imagination of the world. And I don't think he set out to change the world when he did this. I think one day in the midst of the destruction of his beloved world, he chose to show up and show love and support. His playing in the midst of destruction proclaimed loudly that beauty is stronger than death. That beauty is healing. That love shows up and has the courage to take a stand. See, grief can either destroy us or it can awaken us what will it do for you? It can either destroy us or awaken us. Two halves of our country both feel left out right now, and they are working on attacking each other rather than transforming the system in this world that we live in. And we need to pay attention to that because beauty is needed, and it is not tidy, it is not pretty, it is not clean, and it is not glamorous, but it has depth and it has meaning. Madeline Engel quotes so beautifully that beauty cries out for more beauty. It enlarges us, and it makes us then want to make an affirmation to the power of creation behind the universe. Smilovic here, he was offering beauty that cried out for more, even then more than what he thought his world could currently offer, and yet he still showed up, and he still played, and he trusted that his actions would spark a flame, and it did. That is the challenge for us today. Can we be beauty? 
Can we be an ear for people? Because we won't get anywhere if we don't keep listening. And then can we be a voice? Can we be a community and a city that says in the midst of chaos and destructive attitudes and behaviors, we will be the ones whose lives are beauty, crying out for more beauty. We will spark a flame. This safety pin that I'm wearing, it's already sparking controversy. I tell you what, if you put a pin on your clothing, you need to be willing to say, not only am I going to say I'm safe, I will be safe for you. You can sit next to me, I will defend you, I will take up for you. I'm telling my kids, if you want to wear this to school, it's not just some quirky, fun little thing. It's saying, I will stand up to bullying if needed, okay? So we pin it and then we be it. I want to invite our, they're here, good. (laughs) We're going to close our service today by lighting some votive candles. And this is going to be space for you to do a few things. Space for you to grieve if needed. Space for you to light candles of peace and hope. Space for some of us to say that as a community, we are choosing to be something that is going to say we're going to continue fanning this flame of love and beauty in our own hearts so that when we leave this place, we'll continue fanning flames of love and light into our families, friends, workplaces, our community, and our nation. We will be the revolution of love that we so desperately need. No matter what, we will be beauty crying out for more beauty. So there's four stations. There's one right here, one right here, one on the end, one on the end. So if you're in this middle section, I'm going to encourage you to come to the middle, come down, go out, and that will be your exit row right there. If you're in the side sections, we're going to have you come out the outside and go down this middle row as well. So today you're choosing again to say, I will light a candle of hope. I will light a candle and be beauty. We're going to leave out this place hopefully bearing a smile at least for a little while until a challenge comes and we can be able to take that challenge and say, I will not be destructive. I will not carry a spirit of fear or of hate. I will choose to be love and beauty and be a shelter from the storm for somebody. If you want to do that, I invite you as you are ready. Please come. We're still together in this. We're still together in this. Can we sing that chorus again? I'll carry yours on the bridge. If I could sing, I would do it. I am sick and I can't. You don't want me to start singing this. I'll carry
these words from an elder from the Hopi Nation. It's a prayer back from 2000. You have been telling people that this is the 11th hour. Now you must go back and tell the people that this is the hour. And these are the things to be considered. Where are you living? What are you doing? What are your relationships? Are you in right relation? Where is your water? Know your garden. It is time to speak your truth, Han. It is time to speak your truth. There is space for every one of us, and you grieve and you work with these emotions. There is room for you here. Do you hear me? It is time to speak your truth. Create your community. Be good to each other. And do not, do not look outside yourself for another leader. Then he clasped his hands together and he smiled. This could be a good time because there is a river flowing now very fast. It is so great and swift and there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will be feel like they are being torn apart and they will suffer greatly. But know that this river has its destination. The elders said we must let go of the shore and push off into the middle of the river keep our eyes open and heads above the water and I say see who is in there with you and we will celebrate this at this time in history we are to take nothing personally oh I say that from a privileged place least of all ourselves for the moment that we do our spiritual growth and journey can come to a halt but the time of the lone wolf is over so gather yourselves banish the word struggle from your attitude and your vocabulary all that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration for we are the ones we've been waiting for we are the ones we've been waiting for give space for yourself and for others and choose to be beauty crying out for more beauty if you agree with that would you say amen amen god bless you guys have an amazing week